Welcome to the podcast stream for the sermons from Orchard Hill Church. We are so thrilled that you found us. If you have questions about our church or want to support us financially, head over to our website, ohohio.com. We'd love to hear from you. Enjoy. So our words of life today come from the prophet Isaiah in chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. And I'll be reading from the NIV. It says this. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy Holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And then I heard the the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. The word of the Lord. So as we begin our time of teaching, I want to dismiss our fourth and fifth graders to go with Adam or with, is it Jocelyn today? With Jocelyn. Uh, If you have a fourth or fifth grader and they're interested in going to this, we'd love to have you join that class as they have a time in scripture together. Um, And man, I'm just thankful. I I, I admit this when I said it earlier, uh, we are coming off of a week of incredible uh, effort. And I'm so thankful, like Christy mentioned as well, uh, VBS was a huge hit. The opportunity that we had to sow into families in our community, um, like the impact of that is something you, you can't underestimate. It's, it's just an incredible thing. So thank all of you who, who brought kids and who helped in all of the different ways from prep to serving with kids, to cooking hot dogs and making chili, to, um, I I know for a fact my kids had multiple um, cotton candies. So uh, (laughs) they were very, very thrilled about that. They didn't go to bed very well that night, but they were excited. Um, But man, we're so thankful. Uh, I know that um, there's a lot on the horizon for us. Even this afternoon at three, we have prayer at Northwest. Uh, I'll talk a little bit more about that at the end of our service, but like, uh, I love that every time this school year comes around, we just have all of this energy and focus momentum going into kids and students. Uh, That's not by accident. That's very intentional and strategic. And even with Orchard Hill Kids Go, which will be starting in September, on September 6th, um, the word go in there is a huge part of our identity as a church and our vision for things. It's why we're looking for people to help invest in kids on Wednesday nights because we believe the investment in basically that our kids could embrace Jesus and his mission a lot earlier than any of us ever did. 
And that would be good news for our world. Like our world needs people who have embraced Jesus and embraced his mission. And we believe kids, even in kindergarten, first, second grade, can learn what it means to be a blessing and to extend the life of Jesus to the people around them from an early age, far earlier than we could probably even wrap our mind around. Because God's strategy in the world is to put us where we are for the sake of the world. That God places his church in the world because he loves the world enough, not only to send Jesus, but through Jesus to send his church. Our vision for fruitful disciples everywhere, every day, starts with this notion of being sent. Like our mission statement, that we are a people sent to practice the way of Jesus together for the good of our communities. That word sent cannot be uh, skipped over. It's, it's actually one of the most foundational ways that I understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus in the world is that if you are a follower of Jesus and Jesus is the sent one, then his people are sent people. Um, my, my friend Al always says, uh, you are already sent. If you are in Jesus, it's not a, a question of, have you been commissioned by Jesus to do his stuff? You, if you're in Jesus and Jesus is sent, then guess what? You are sent in Jesus. The question is always, are we willing to say yes, to embrace the fact that God has already not only included you in his life, if you've put your faith in Jesus, but he's included you in his mission and purpose and strategies to see the world brought back to him. And that's a really big, overwhelming concept. I'm like, if we really think about it, um, to think that my life and the small amount of people that I know and the circles that I run in and stuff could have a part of what God is wanting to accomplish and do in the world. Uh, that takes a different kind of vision for who you are and, and why you're here. Uh, and I, I say this all the people all the time. I want Orchard Hill to live like sent people. Like I want our church to live as if God has put us here on purpose. I don't want to do good church. I mean, I do, but like just good church is not the point of the church. Like a fun Sunday pep rally is not the point. We could like go to a football game on a Friday night and have a lot of fun with a group of people and sing things and do things and feel energy. The purpose of the church is that Jesus wants to bring the world back to himself. And he's put us here to join into that, not only to benefit from it, but to join him in being a part of how our neighbors and our families, how the businesses and the schools and the different things in our world how will they see Jesus? They will see Jesus because he has put his people in their midst to be a sign and a testimony and even a foretaste of heaven, to be people who show and tell that the kingdom of God is, is right here. It's right at hand. So today I want to look at this passage in Isaiah. It's one of those stories in the scriptures where you get a, a window into someone being called by God for a specific purpose. And calling itself feels like a pretty heavy word, right? Like calling is for somebody like Billy Graham or Mother Teresa. If you're a big somebody, then you get a calling. The rest of us are just like, yeah, and I'm happy to support and, and pray for you. Um, but what's amazing about God's plan for the church is that each and every one of us, if you are in Christ, you are already called because you are in Jesus the called and sent and chosen one. Like you are in him. So everything that is a part of his life is now a part of your life. And discovering that calling, the calling to be God's and then to join God in what he's doing in the world, that's, that's one of the joys. That's kind of why I do what I do. It's not because I particularly love preaching. It's because I love seeing people discover who they are 
and join Jesus in how they were made uniquely to be a part of his mission and seeing the world look more like heaven through the way that we live, through what we say and we do and through what we have. And so we're gonna take a look into Isaiah 6 today. Uh, I have like five points I wanna make today. As I've been sitting in this passage, um, just things that have stuck out to me. The first thing I want to highlight is that people who are sent, like sent people know who reigns. Now this passage starts off with this phrase. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died, so we're gonna get to that. I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Now, King Uzziah was a king of Judah who was a good king until he wasn't. He was a good king. He was faithful to God to keep his law and to lead Israel in the way they were until he hit a certain point. And in his arrogance, he overstepped the role that God had put him in, and God kind of punished him. And he ended up with leprosy and he was kind of cast out from society. So to go from the highest of heights to be completely cast out among the people. But with that, Uzziah's son came into power and his son was well intended. But Israel, the people of God, started down this this downhill slope away from their purpose and design and towards just kind of rebellion, towards worshiping other idols, towards a lot of the things that they were not um, called to do, made to do. Um, And when King Uzziah died, it was like this pivotal point. The first five chapters leading up to this in Isaiah kind of cover what God is, how God is, is seeing and speaking to where Israel is. But it's one of those things where from the outside, it looked like everything was falling apart. And I think it's interesting that it is in that moment that Isaiah gets this vision where he sees the Lord. He sees him high and exalted, enthroned over all. It says the train of his robe filled the temple. Um, In the, um, when I think of the train of robe, I think of like, just like a king, like probably in the like, the sense of like European monarchies. Like you'll see this picture of this, this robe. Um, And the train is like the long part that goes behind it. And like when they would have processions of royalty, they come in and the train is what would follow them. Um, In the ancient Near East, the train of the robe was a sign of victory. And actually, if one king were to conquer another kingdom, there are two things that might happen. One, they, they, they might cut off the thumbs of that king so that they would never hold a scepter again. The idea is like you are conquered and you will never have power again. But the other thing that they would do is they would cut off the train of their robe and then they would sew it on to the, the, the victorious king. They would sew it on. And that way, when you saw a king who was being coronated in or marched in in a procession or something like that, and the train of their robe was long, it was because they were very victorious. That their, it was a sign of their power and their strength and the safety and security that they could bring if you were willing to yield to them. And Isaiah has this vision of God and it says the train of his robe fills the temple. Like there is a victory and a power and a strength and a security in the one who reigns that God wanted Isaiah to see. He wanted him to see it as he looked at his world and he saw everything falling apart. He wanted him to know who was on the throne and the victory and the power and the strength that he held. 
Because he would need to see that in order to be who he was called to be in the world. He would have to see the train of his robe. And then he sees these seraphs, right? These, these angels. This is a drawing I saw of them. There's a lot of weird drawings of angels. Never Google that. Don't. Trust me. But this was a, an illustration. And it's kind of, you see it. And you, you imagine seeing this around the throne. And they're just saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, The whole earth is full of his glory. And they're saying this over and over. And in, in the Old Testament, repetition is one of those things that's just bringing emphasis. They're saying God is holy unlike anything. And you look at this and you're like, this is unlike anything I've ever seen. And they're like, no, 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 no. God is unlike anything you've ever seen. Like as weird and majestic and powerful as you think these little seraphs are, they are nothing compared to the Lord of hosts. The God who these seraphs bowed out to, and they say he is nothing like anything you've ever seen, and the whole earth is full of his glory, and his victory fills everything upon everything. He is enthroned over all. When Isaiah was being called to follow God, the first thing God did was show him who he was. He wanted Isaiah to see clearly. You won't embrace the call of God if you don't know who God is. If you don't see him as the one who is reigning over all. This is why in the Christian tradition, we continue to place crosses in the front and center of our buildings. Because Jesus is the clear revelation of who God is. He shows us what God is like, what his purposes and plans are. And when Jesus is Lord, if that is true, it redefines everything. If the reigning king is the one who comes and gives his life to bring the world back to himself, and we see him as the one who is victorious over sin and death and the grave, and that every circumstance that we are in, no matter what the political landscape looks like, no matter how far we have fallen from grace, both as individuals and as a society, however you want to look at it, if he is on the throne, it changes everything. It changes everything. It puts our simple circumstances now in perspective of the one who reigns and who says, it's all mine and I'm going to fill the earth with my glory. Isaiah needed to see God. And one of the things I'm praying, I'm praying that our church in this next season, that however God desires, but that we would be willing to participate to just see God in a new way. When I was in college, one of the popular worship songs was a song called Open the Eyes of My Heart. It said, open the eyes of my heart, Lord, I want to see you high and lifted up, shining in the light of your glory. Pour out your power and love as we cry, holy, holy, holy. A church that hasn't seen God as the king, as the Lord, as the one who reigns, is, they will never respond to his call. Because we need to be awestruck by the one who calls us, whose glory and victory and reign will know no end, but who is reigning now even despite what we see or how we feel. He is the king and it's all his. And when Isaiah sees this, to my second point, sent people also see themselves clearly. Verse five, when he sees God in all his glory and all his reign and all his victory, his first response is, woe is me. <laughs> Like, I'm toast. I'm ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Isaiah rightfully 
comes to the point where he realizes if I'm seeing God, I'm, I'm not clean. Like I'm nothing like him in a way that probably will destroy me. So he's kind of in a panic mode. God's holiness always reveals our lack of it. And I, I want to highlight this because if you've ever been to a point where you've had a real encounter with God, you're going to see God, but you're also going to see yourself. You're going to see yourself in the light of God. And let's be honest, sometimes it ain't pretty. When you see God's goodness and then you see yourself, there should be a part of us that naturally feels the gap. And there's a good, holy fear that overcomes us. That something has to change. Either I need to get out of the presence of God or God's going to have to do something. And this is important, and I say this because this can become a place of despair if we don't keep moving in the story. Like, if you've ever been to in a point in your life where you feel like you've had this encounter with God, but you also see how unclean you are, and you just stay there, you're going to stay in guilt, you're going to stay in shame, you're going to stay in a place that keeps you from your calling. Where God, who knew all of this about Isaiah, like before Isaiah saw his uncleanliness, God saw his uncleanliness. And, that, and God chooses to show himself to Isaiah. Why is that? Like, why would God choose? Is it just to be like, hey, I just wanted to show you how nasty and dirty you are. Um, good luck down there. Deuces. Um, no. Just a reminder, I'm God and you're not. Have a great day. That is not the, the motive of God in this. But if we're careful sometimes, when we come to a place of conviction, and we don't keep going with Jesus, we'll just feel a lot of guilt and shame and the enemy will lie to us and say that the whole reason, God just wants you to know what a piece of junk that you are so that you can just like, I don't know, stay humble. Well, that's not humility. I mean, Jesus was perfect and Jesus was humble. So if it's about sin, like sin does not humble us. Sin is one of those things where we have to deal with that reality. And God brings those things to light to deal with it. Our unclean status doesn't deter God. But will it deter us? That's one of the things we will have to wrestle with as individuals and as a church. To be faithful sent people. Is that the gap between me and Jesus is not a problem for Jesus if I'll follow him. But would I, will I let it be a problem for me? Will I use it as the reason why I will not say yes to what he's asking? I want to underline that. That gap is the gap God himself comes to close. But it will become an excuse that will keep us from being the church we're called to be if we let it. So we have to keep going. I'm going to come back to that in a minute. Third point. Sent people also see the people around them. And it moves them toward their world. Remember in this verse 5... He says, I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. So not only does the light of God show him his own uncleanliness, but it shows him that Israel, the people of God, are also unclean. It shows him, not only do I not deserve God's goodness because of my own state, my own choices, but like that's the same thing for the world around me. But just like God bringing Isaiah's uncleanliness to, to light to deal with it, he's doing the same thing with Isaiah to help move Isaiah 
towards mission as God wants to deal with all of the uncleanliness of the world. Like he wants to deal with it all. God's not just moving towards Isaiah for Isaiah's sake. He's moving towards Isaiah for the sake of the people around him. The people that he is sending him to. A church that sees the world and moves away from it will then be a problem. And this is something that the Lord's really been working me over with um, in a very simple way as I see in our world a, a polarizing effect where people who are unlike, who disagree with the world around them, whether that's politics or stances on uh, any number of issues, that when there's disagreeance, it becomes a reason to be like, no. And we build in our lives sometimes a safety and security that actually keeps us from the people that God has sent us to. Uh, I say, I was talking with somebody about this this week, that uh, sometimes one of the worst things that can happen is someone will come to, to faith in Jesus in a church that tries to sterilize them from all the people around them. And we'll like pull them away from people that don't know Jesus in the name of like them cleaning up their life where God has uniquely positioned them to reach people that this room and this church building will never reach. I mean, honestly, think about the people in your life. There's people in your life that will never come here. And it doesn't matter how amazing things are. If I become the best gifted preacher you've ever seen, if music's, if we have sharks and lasers and all sorts of stuff, it doesn't matter to most of the people around us. And God says, I, I don't need this room to matter. I need you to go. But a church accepts up their life to keep away from rather than to move towards the world that is just as unclean as they are. That's a problem. And honestly, if we say that we love God, so I want nothing to do with this, then we don't see God at all. Because God, who is nothing like us, moved towards us in Christ. He moved towards the world. His holiness was, he is the one who, who, who moved from heaven to earth to come to us to bring us to himself. In a church that doesn't follow God in that action and recognize that just like Jesus will deal with my uncleanliness, he will deal with the uncleanliness of the world if we will go to the world. When we embrace that, we're at a point where we can start to live as the church that we are called to be. I've been thinking about Jesus as he looked over Jerusalem in Luke 19. It says, as, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. And said, even if you, even you had only known this day what would bring you peace. But now it's hidden from your eyes. Or Paul in Romans. And he says, with Christ as my witness, I speak utter truthfulness. My conscience and the Holy Spirit confirm it. My heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief for my people, my Jewish brothers and sisters. I would be willing to forever be cursed, cut off from Christ if that would save them. Time and time again, we see in scripture from Jesus to the people that he sent, that when there's a deep move of God to join what he's doing, there's, there's like a move towards that, that ends up with us being brokenhearted for the world around us. Not sickened by it, but longing for the world to know Christ. And I've been, I've done a lot of church in my life. 
And I can tell you, you can be a part of the church and not give a rip about lost people. You can be a part of the church and be really happy about all the things that are good for you, not realizing that everything that God does for you, he, he does it for the sake of the people around you. My fourth point, sent people, let the Lord cleanse them for service. Isaiah sees himself and he sees himself among a people and he says, man, I'm ruined. And God sends a messenger. God sends a seraph with a live coal, hot coal, to cleanse his lips. It says, he takes that live coal. It says, with it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away from you and your sin is atoned for. I want you to think about this. God cleans his lips so that he can become his mouthpiece to the world that he loves. That God allows him to see him and to see himself and to see this people. And then God himself sends someone to bring cleansing so that Isaiah's uncleanliness can become a tool to see God's message go to the world. I want to ask a question. What if the most unclean aspects of your life were what God wanted to cleanse in order to use them for his purposes? What if the most unclean aspects of your life, and, and that could be anything. It could be habits. It could be if your thoughts. It could be relationships. It could be whatever you would be just be like, hey, this is the one thing that probably like disqualifies me from being used. What if God actually desires to cleanse you to forgive you, to heal you, to restore you so that that area of your life can actually be a witness to the people around you. You see, we can be really good, not only of having the excuse of I'm unclean so God can't use me, but also saying, well, God, you could probably clean up this like 70% of my life because it's actually pretty good. Like you'll just put some Jesus icing on that. Oh, it looks like, looks like Jesus. But this part... Nope. We believe more in sin than we do Jesus, probably because we've experienced more of sin than Jesus. But Jesus, he enters into the lowest place. He humbles himself and becomes obedient to the point of death to atone for every sin. And again, remember, just like God sees Isaiah's uncleanliness, and yet puts him in a situation to see the Lord and to be cleansed. God sees whatever you would say is the reason that he can't take your life and move it forward into his calling. He sees it more clearly than you do, and it's not a hurdle for him because he knows how to clean it. Like he knows how to take your life in the way that it is, and whatever guilt and shame and, and whatever might be a part of your life, he knows how to take the thing that is the lowest thing and bring it to light so that it becomes a catalyst for the world to see him. And the good news is, in Jesus, we know that God has already made the move towards us. Like we're not waiting for a seraph. I'm glad one of those things isn't gonna show up in here. That scared me to death. But Jesus has already made the move. He's already come. He's already offering in this moment, not just cleansing for the things you know you need cleansing for, but every single part of you that has been fractured and broken by sin and shame. He has offered himself to restore you completely to Christ. For you to be cleansed. And that cleansing is not just so that you can be clean. 
It's not just so that you would be clean. It's so that in your cleanliness, you would join him in what he's doing. My fifth point, sent people volunteer themselves to go. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Um, the obvious ones to send in this case would be the angels, right? He's literally in a throne room with messengers, with angels, with people whose job it is to go with God's message into the world. And then there's Isaiah. Woe is me, I'm ruined. But he's cleansed. And when God says, who will go? He's like, here I am. What you've done for me, take it into the world. I'll be your mouthpiece. I'll be your messenger, God, because you've cleansed me. You've cleansed me. You've taken me from who I am. Here I am. Like, let's go. He offers, it's literally translated, behold me. Like, Jesus, I'll, I'll do it. I'll go. Here I am, send me. There's a difference between people who are sent and people who are eager to go. And I've been thinking about this a lot. Because like I, I, am, I have given and am giving my life to see the church go. To see the church embrace the fact that if we're in Jesus, like he has forgiven you and he's not just forgiven you so that you're forgiven, but so that you can go and forgive and extend and be an example and a picture of the forgiveness of God for your world. He has cleansed you so that in your cleanliness, you don't just rejoice in your cleanliness, but you take the cleanliness into the world to be a picture of what happens when the kingdom of God breaks in. He takes healing and wholeness and he brings us to you. It's never just for you. It's never just for me. It's for the world around me. And I want to see the church say everything that Jesus has done in me and for me. I want it. I want it all. I want every bit of that to take a full effect in me, but I want it for the sake of the people around me. Period. Our vision for an orchard is that every household and neighborhood and business and school, like why do we go pray at Northwest today? Because we want to see God's life flourish there. And there's people there who already know Jesus that we feel like he's put there on purpose. He's put families there on purpose. He's put you there on purpose. And we're just asking God, who, not just who have you sent, because there's plenty of sent people, but who's sitting there being like, let's go. What is it, Jesus? I will yield myself. I will give of myself. Let's go. What are you asking? And I love that Isaiah didn't just be like, so what are you asking? Like, I'm willing, but what are the terms and conditions of this deal? <laughs> You know, he's like most of us on Apple. We just scroll down and click yes. <laughs> he didn't have a qualifier. He didn't, because he knew he's seen the king. And he knew his uncleanliness and he knew the world. But he saw God moving towards that world because God moved towards him. God came and cleansed him. And he cleansed him so that every area of his life, even the most unclean thing, would become a possibility for the world to see and know the king. And I'm sorry to tell you this, but I am praying that Jesus keeps showing you himself. I'm going to pray that the light of Jesus will bring things to light in you 
that you have to deal with because you know he's not bringing it up because he's mean or cruel or judgmental, but because he loves the world enough to change you so that you can join him in changing the world. I'm praying that our church more and more, and some of you have done this, and some of you maybe never before, but all of us, it's day by day. When God shows up and says, who can I send and who will go for me? That we are not reluctantly or haphazardly or even in a way where we kind of step back, but we are the church that keeps saying, here I am. What you got? Let's go. Let's go to the world around us. I'm gonna invite our band up as we just move towards a time of response and communion. If you're new here, we take communion after a response time. If you didn't get a communion cup, you can get them at the table right in the middle when we all stand up. It'll be a little bit less awkward. Um, but I wanna, I wanna go, I, I heard this quote the other day. Uh, Andrew Murray is kind of a, one of the heroes of mine in like church history people. But he said this, he said, God is ready to assume full responsibility for the life wholly yielded to him. God is ready to assume full responsibility for the life wholly yielded to him. I have so much hope for what God is doing in our midst. I, I really do pray uh, for those of you who are new to Orchard Hill, if you stick around, you feel kind of the undertow of what God's doing. Because I feel like God is continuing to do stuff to set us up to to hopefully see his kingdom break into places we've never seen it in our areas. That Manchester and Canal Fulton and New Franklin and Jackson and Wadsworth and wherever, wherever you are, that, that God's divine strategy is that you're there because God himself is going there. And that he's showing himself to you for the sake of the world that you're in. But I also know, like, I know that my job is to encourage you and to challenge you in the places where Jesus is saying, who will go for me to push you to look at God and to let him cleanse you and get you to that point where you are not just a person who's sent, but you're the, you're the first volunteer just saying, God, here I am. Let's go. So we're going to pray. Um, and I'll, I'll be honest. I feel like in this room, there's a good chance that some of you already have some things in your life where you feel like you've kind of been on the brink. You feel like God's kind of been knocking on the door like he says he does in Revelation. Being like, hey, I'm calling you to something. There's a step of faith I want you to make. And you know what? Don't let comparison ruin it. Everyone's step of faith. God gives us the next step clearly. Um, he's not calling you to be Christy or Mike or Patty. He's calling you to your next step. And it's going to require faith, but it's also going to require you to really settle. Is Jesus the king? Has he cleansed me? And is he calling me to do this? If you're here and you're like, hey, I just need prayer. That the, I just need more boldness and more courage to say yes. Then when we stand up and we're singing, if you need prayer, come down here. We'd love to pray for you. Or if you just want to come down here as a place to like physically say, God, I'm, I'm in. I don't know what you're saying. I don't know what the terms or conditions are. But yes, let's go. Then you're welcome to. 
But I'll, I'll just warn you. Jesus wants to reach your world. And the more you say yes, the more he's going to call you to keep saying yes. And there's so much beauty that our world will never see until the church keeps just saying, let's go. And I think that could be us. But if it's going to be us, it has to be me. And I'm praying that it's you as well. Let's pray. Jesus, we are um, blessed to be yours. And Lord, we pray in this time as we respond, Holy Spirit, if there are um, things that you're wrestling with us with, maybe we're here and we're just like, I don't know if I've ever seen God in a way that like just deeply convinces me that he's the king. And Lord, I pray you would show yourself to us. Lord, for those who have been in a pit of despair, just feeling their own uncleanliness, Holy Spirit, go to them right now and extend to them what you have already extended in Christ. Forgiveness, cleansing, and liberty. It is theirs because you have died and are raised and are seated as king at the right hand of the Father. For those who have a step of faith that is before them, who hear you saying, who will I send? Give them courage and boldness in the spirit to say yes. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.